The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. And I'll prefix this intro by saying producer Ollie usually writes this bit, but he's gone on holiday, so expect some truly terrible puns. Coming up on this week's show. How about that? Steady Eddie speaks to Alan from work. Carry us home, we've had one too many. Loris parachutes in to ease Newcastle's goalkeeping injury setback. And hold the cherries. Ahmed Schubel joins us to talk Bournemouth and a reunion with Eddie Howe. Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. I am Taylor Payne. And I'm joined as usual uh, by Newcastle correspondent Chris Wolf and our senior writer George Colgan. It's been a strange and emotional week for the country chaps. Uh, and we have to say George's heroic effort in the Great North Run had a little bit extra oomph. George, how are you doing? I saw that photo of you crossing the line and I could feel every single ounce of emotion. Bless you. Um, I'm, wearing, I'm still wearing my T-shirt. I've not had that off since the, um, since, since the end. So I'm starting to smell quite bad. Yeah, and I'm wearing my medal which I think I'm sort of I think I'm entitled to do for a full week post Great North Run yeah it was um it was a tough one that I'd been nursing a calf injury and um we had a we had a team of writers Chris was going to be one of them um uh, before injury intervened but we had a team of writers who were running for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation we thought it might be fun to get a team together and I was just desperate to be there and so um, didn't know if I'd be able to get round. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm always a bit of a weepy mess at the end, but it was it felt particularly emotional, this one. Well, well done, mate. I mean, everybody, uh, all of us are congratulating you for that. Thank you. What is an immense effort. You ran 13 and a half miles. Chris, did you eat 13 and a half sausages on Sunday afternoon or what did you do with your time? That's what I did. That, that was my 13.1, Taylor. 13.1, Taylor. You, half marathon. you then- ruined it. I do apologise that extra yeah. point four makes all the difference, doesn't it? The, the bet, I mean, it was it was a phenomenal achievement by George and the others. Although I would, in terms of the weeping mess, I would like to draw attention everyone to the photo that George tweeted from afterwards, and mainly because of not even George weeping. It's the guy he's running alongside who seems to, can seemingly hear and see George's pain and must be thinking that George is, is going to break down before the line. It's just amazing his face. I was scre- no, no, I was I was screaming. The thing is, Chris, I was actually screaming for the last mile i was genuinely screaming i um I, 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 I scared people at 10 miles by screaming at the top of my voice just one more park run because that's what you know because a park run is 3.1 miles and i scared a few people doing that and then in the last mile i was genuinely shouting at the top of my voice um so i think the guy next to me there was a bit scared and i also thought i was really worried about wearing white a white t-shirt because my nipples have, have a habit of weeping as well i'm afraid and i thought i'd got away with it and that picture shows that i didn't get away with it sadly so blood sweat and tears I'm sorry if anybody is uh, sitting down for their lunch or their tea and, and the image of George's weeping nipples has just entered your head. I do apologise. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just the way it is. Well done, though, George. An immense effort. Congratulations. Uh, right then, shall we crack on, chaps? 
Let's do it. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic at the special price of just £1 a month for the first six months. Right now, to claim that offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod and get access to all of our great writing as well as ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Sign up now. So it's been just over 10 months since Eddie Howe took over at Newcastle United and Alan Shearer, and it says here a young intrepid reporter by the name of George Colton, spoke to him recently in a special interview for The Athletic. Uh, Chris, Eddie Howe, he's done a stellar job, hasn't he, since he came in and uh, it's been such a turnaround for Newcastle United. It has and obviously the takeover itself has had a huge uh, effect on the club but then Eddie Howe and his coaching staff and the change in philosophy throughout the team and approach that he's brought cannot be underestimated as well. He, What's interesting in that interview is he talked about and he, and he sort of hinted at this before but he was adamant that even if the takeover hadn't happened he would have still been interested in the Newcastle United job. Whether Whether Things could have changed in exactly the way that he would have wanted had that happened. Would he would have been able to change the team in the dramatic way? Uh, is 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 something we will never know. But the the, the he has really uh, bought himself into the affections of so many Newcastle fans for the way that he's turned it around and the way that he has approached the job and the way that his team plays. And so yeah, it was great to to hear uh, from Alan and, and George chatting to Daddy Howe last week. It's been a pretty decent ten months uh, to start off with, hasn't it, George? It's not bad at all. Oh, I mean, if we, you know, you just have to go back to last season and try and put that into some some context. No, no other team have escaped from the position that Newcastle were in uh, when Eddie Howe took over. It took a little while to to get going. I mean, he spoke in that interview about the Leeds match and looking back at the Leeds Leeds away and how that sort of was the result that everything hinged on. But I mean, since then it's just been phenomenal. And yeah, the relationship between him and his staff. The players and the team is has just been very, very special. And it's, you know, I think the interesting thing about now is seeing seeing how that team is coming on and changing slightly, changing certainly in terms of personnel, also in terms of style, but keeping that sort of steeliness. I mean, that's something that um, that he talked about. But, um, you know, that this is... And, and I think the other interesting thing about the interview was, you know, that sense of perception, how he was perceived at Bournemouth, the reality of that... And certainly, what he's doing now, um, you know, there, there is there is some differential between the image of nice, cuddly Eddie Howe and um, and the reality. He's a very steely, steely individual. Yes, Chris, and there's been a massive turnaround in the performances and and generally just the attitude around the club. One of the words that Eddie Howe used quite a lot in that piece was unity, and he's really bred that unity throughout the club, hasn't he, since he came in. Yeah, that's been the focus, and it was about having everyone from from the top to bottom pulling in the same direction. Certainly last season, he basically came in and decided that if Newcastle United were going to survive from the position George mentioned that no club had ever managed to rescue themselves from, that it required buy-in from everyone, from the players, the staff, the owners, but also that he had to bring the fans along and they had to stay with it. And and he had that goodwill from coming in from the from the takeover having happened, but he also managed to really harness that and, and help the team and not and the the performances at St James's Park in particular have been magnificent. It only lost twice under Eddie Howe there, and that's so much to do with the atmosphere and the crowd and using that and war flags and the Arsenal game and the Nottingham Forest game. All of these sorts of things have come together. But to, it's one thing being able to say that, and it's, it's another thing being able to actually bring all those component parts together and make it all work. And as he mentions, 
within the pieces we've said before in hindsight a massive day was that Leeds United victory away because up till that point he'd got everyone on board and everyone was following him but at some point particularly for the players but also for supporters positive results needed to follow and that and they would only obviously had one win by then once they won that match that was that was absolutely huge and, and helped to to sort of drag everyone along and it just seems that they are still going on that positive trajectory. Absolutely. George, one of the things I love about Eddie Howe is that he seems to be willing to learn on the job. And obviously he took that bit of time out when he uh, when he left Bournemouth. He travelled around Europe, he visited different coaches, he's taken in different training sessions. I mean, what do, you, what do we think he's learned from this first 10 months at Newcastle United? Obviously, it's a very, uh, it can be a pretty volatile environment for a new manager, can't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he, he, he spoke about wanting to be completely different when he came back in. And so, yeah, he, he went to Atletico Madrid, hung, up, hung out with uh, Kieran Trippier, which I think was uh, pretty useful for him when he got the Newcastle job. And again, he spoke about, he spoke that sort of magnificently nerdy thing about, he said, he pointed to the, to the ground and said, my di- my training diaries were feet tall and he put them all onto his laptop and he says, that's been a real game changer for me because now he can he can, uh, he can can reference individual training sessions uh, sort of at the touch of a finger, which is, which is obviously really good. But yeah, I mean, I think he said that, you know, the thing that he's really taken away from, from the job is here is just the intensity of the club and, you know, the, the size of it. He says he loves it, though. You know, the fact it's all about Newcastle, everything is Newcastle and there's sort of almost no escape from it. And it's great that he's finally kind of managed to get his family up here and is in a house because he says, if I didn't have them, I'd probably lose my marbles. Um, and I think, you know, it is that kind of place. It's like that for for us. I mean, what, what one part of the interview that wasn't used was talking about the Man City game. And, you know, I, I just know from sitting in the press box that there were moments in that match when my head felt like it was going to explode. There was like, there wasn't enough room for a coherent thought. And, you know, amid all the noise and the chaos and stuff like that, it was interesting, you know, it was sort of interesting listening to him, how how he copes with a moment like that. And he just says, sometimes you just have to let the game go. And that was one of them. But yeah, he's bought into it. He's not a, He's not the same as Kevin Keegan. He's not the same as Sir Bobby Robson. He's very different. I think he's more comparable to Rafa, maybe, in the sense that he has that sort of almost sense of reserve, but at the same time has stirred all this emotion since he's been here and, you know, has that incredible relationship with with fans. I mean, it's very difficult to fault him on anything so far. That's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And then I read through that piece, Chris, the, the, the piece that George has done with Alan Shearer, and it's... It's meticulous, very much like Eddie Howe is as well, and it goes into an awful lot of detail. It's a great read. Um, Eddie Howe's kind of attention to detail has been something which has been talked about quite a lot, and we've spoke about the comparisons to Rafa and stuff like that. It's It's been a huge thing, hasn't it? And and when we look at the predecessors of his, maybe Rafa uh, excluding, it's, it's a breath of fresh air for Newcastle United, isn't it? It isn't. I mean, the, the, he is just a complete and utter workaholic, as, as he as he admits himself. But he's so focused on everything that that he tries to do. He, he basically admits that he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't spend time around the beautiful places of the northeast because he is just too busy working. He's either at the training ground, he's at St James's Park, or he's at home and he's he's working. He's watching back training sessions. He's planning the next training sessions. He see what he can do better. And Dan Byrne was on. 
uh, BBC Five Live on, on Monday night, and he was saying about what's amazed him is that every single day, and we've referenced this before, every single day, every single training session seems to be different. He doesn't repeat things, or at least you don't feel like they're being repetitive because he's so meticulous and trying to make sure that they enjoy it, but that there is a precision there, and there's always there's always a plan as to what they're trying to do. Last season. He came in and it was about the fundamentals. He didn't want to overload players in mid-season with his with his sort of philosophy. Whereas pre-season, he had a lot more time and obviously new players in, in some departments as well to be able to focus on this is how we're going to play. And you've already seen that in the opening few matches. Newcastle are playing with a higher line. They have Nick Pope who's sweeping in behind. You have the players pressing high. You have that willingness to attack. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what he, he still says. It's evolution. They're not quite where he wants to be. And it will always be a work in progress. But he is so meticulous he knows what he wants and he's trying to get that out of the players so we wanted to play you a, a, a few little clips from the interview and uh, the first bit alan asked eddie about that idea of going to anfield and getting up liverpool's nose for me i'm not in it to be popular or anyone's second team i'm in it to try and win and create a culture of winners an environment where we don't accept anything other than winning so and i think to do that to try and build that culture you you can't be labelled nice. You can't be looked at as soft touches. You have to play the game to win. And that means doing everything and asking your players to deliver everything to try and get that win. And that, at times, may be unpopular with opposing teams, opposing supporters, referees. We're here to try and win. And, and But is, is that have you changed in that? Because without sounding disrespectful, you're a nice guy, Eddie. You managed Bournemouth, played lovely football. Um has that has that changed you or your thinking? I think. Um, you yeah, I that think. Nice guy, Eddie Howe from. Um, probably, from probably not. No, I'm probably not as nice as I was. But I, I think, and I, I genuinely, I'm being serious when I answer that because football does change you. Uh, I certainly see my personality change very gradually over time. That's not to say I'm not not nice yeah. when I need to be nice, but you get so consumed with football, you live the results, the training every day that you're being a, the leader of the club at the moment in terms of on the pitch and everything that happens on it. You can't be too nice. You can, you know, I'd like to think I'm still there for my players in every, in every way personally, but I do think my, my personality has slowly changed. But is, that, is that because as a manager, you just have to take tough decisions? Yeah, you can't overthink things too. Sometimes you, you have a decision to make. And you know that you're affecting people's futures and their lives, but that's the right thing to do. The emotional side has to um, play second, I think, to the your critical eye of the decision. Then how you deliver that news, that then comes down to your personality and you have to deliver things in the right way. I'm a firm believer of that. And then in this next bit, he, he goes on to, to come back to that idea of us against them, but then also to talk about what realistically could be a target for Newcastle this season. I think it's something that we can sort of feel here in Newcastle that there's a lot of people that want to knock us and criticise us and probably don't want us to be successful, don't want us to do well. And we've got to embrace that and use that for, for our, our cause. Really. The issues we had last year, if you look at our points tally, was in the end ended up okay from where we were. But our general performance markers, as in possession and key, key stats you look at, shots, shots conceded. We were quite lowly ranked on made a lot of the key markers. Uh, our general performances, although we won a lot of games towards the end of the season, we weren't the dominant team. A lot of the time we were the 
okay, we won the game, but we, yeah. we sort of ground out victories. And I don't think you can sustain that over a long period of time. Eventually, if that's your style and your way, eventually you'll stop winning. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a big problem. So we're trying to change, not overhaul the style of play. It's got to be a gradual process, but we're trying to implement a style where we are progressive and we're the dominant team and we're going home and away to try to attack the game. Uh, so I'd say that's going to be my biggest marker on in terms of how we're going to improve rather than necessarily the points. And then if you're in need a bit of romance in your life, if you want to feel your heart pumping, have a listen to this. I'd fall in love, not just with the place, but with the people as well. So immediately at the training ground, the first people you meet, going in there, you sort of wonder how this is going to go. And I love the people from minute one. I don't know how they feel about me, but I certainly love them. And and then the supporters, obviously, that, that connection we've grown, hopefully, to... Yeah, have a good feeling off each other. Are you an emotional person? I I control it, I think. I am a very emotional person. I think I've got more emotional as I've got older. Probably like we all do. I don't know how you feel about yourselves, but if I put a film on, I'll cry over a film now, like eat like that. And I think it's when you have kids and you sort of see life differently. But I just when it comes to football, I'm able to control my emotions on match days because I'm sort of always thinking what my players need, not what I need to show. That's sort of how I look at it. I trying to build the unity that we need, not just with the players that I'm working with every day in the staff, but with the supporters. I'm trying to build that unity through the whole city that we're all together and we're all against everybody else. And come with us on this journey as we try and we try and fight everyone else to success. It's sort of how you do that. You're obviously trying to find new things every day to try and reinforce your your power really. So that yeah, so that's just a small section of of, uh, of what we talked about. I mean, I love that bit at the end. I mean, um, yes, you know, po- possibly not not emotional unless he's watching um, unless he's watching a film. Um, but um, he can control that on a match day. But has totally and utterly bought into the to the club and the ethos of the club and the city. And I kind of love that that he has got us and. He's right. I mean, that, that theory of us against them, I mean, that has been so much part of our history for, for such a long time. You know, here we are, isolated in the northeast of England, often kind of get forgotten about or left behind. And he's turning that into a strength. It's not just it's not just about having money and people not liking Newcastle because of that. That's part of our identity. And I love the fact that he's come here and sort of recognised that. I do love those quotes about the no more Mr. Nice Guy stuff because he did have this sort of image, didn't he, of, a, of being sort of nice, inoffensive Eddie Howe. And, and I forget that. He's only he's only 44. He's only four years older than me. And, and, and the guy's got such a mature head on his shoulders for, for the age that he is. But you can see that there's a steeliness about him now. And he's also physically pumped himself up a bit as well, Chris, hasn't he? He's been down the gym on the old dumbbells, definitely. Uh, but this is a changed Eddie Howe, isn't it? And this is an Eddie Howe that means business. Have you just compared yourself to Eddie Howe? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Only in that we are both human men who have an age. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all Eddie Howe. We're all Eddie Howe then, aren't we? I mean, let's face it. But no, as you, as you say, that 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 no more Mr. Nice Guy, it's, very, it's, it's interesting because I had that image of him as well. It is that sort of image that was almost out there in the media. And it was within a few days of him having arrived you spoke to people about what was going on the training ground and it was his persona is wonderful and he is great to deal with with people but also there are exacting standards which he demands and if you don't meet those exacting standards then 
you don't have a chance of playing. You probably won't be at the club for very long. And, and the, the wonderful thing is so many people have bought into them, but you, ha- you have to have Bayern. You have to, to follow what he wants you to do. Otherwise, you, you will not play. You will not feature. And the intensity that, that, that he brings and the fact that he has had to be ruthless at certain points. The Martin Dubravka situation is, is one bit where you can, you can see it as, as being ruthless in many ways. It wasn't somewhere that a lot of Newcastle fans thought needed to be strengthened necessarily in terms of a priority in the summer. But Howe wanted to change the way that Newcastle played. He was going to play a higher line. He thought Nick, once Nick Pope was available, he thought this is a goalkeeper and come in and bring something different. He made a hard-nosed decision there and that's what you need to do with top-level management. You, you, you have to have a great relationship with your players but you also have to be prepared to make those tough decisions and he is certainly prepared to do that you know also that sense of Newcastle identity and sort of aggression you know controlled aggression um but going places and giving that version of Newcastle that it's you know that that we're not just going to lie down and get beaten and it's there's been that too much of that around the team over the past few years it's just been go somewhere try not to concede goals but don't have the quality to sort of do much more than that and I love that idea of him recognising that Newcastle should stand for something else that it should stand for strength and power and not making it easy for other teams and he's you know I, I, I think that's I think that's part of his character it'll be very interesting to to actually talk to Ahmed about Bournemouth and whether he really was you know like that back then and how much he's changed if at all but this is the version of Newcastle that we want we want that sense of of aggression at least I do and you want you want St James's to be as it is at the moment to be a I mean by all means visiting fans come here have a great time have a great weekend get pissed enjoy the city but then come to St James's and be intimidated by the atmosphere you know and for, for their players to be inti- intimidated it's absolutely what New- Newcastle should stand for absolutely Chris just how high can, can Eddie Howe take Newcastle United I mean he's the club obviously has lofty ambitions is he the long term answer to those ambitions well, when George interviewed uh, Amanda Stavely and Mirgad Kukadusi in uh, February, he, they spoke about that maybe Eddie Howe could be Newcastle's version of Sir Alex Ferguson. It was, a, it was certainly a lofty statement at the time because Newcastle was still mired in a relegation battle. But six months on, you sort of look at it and you think that that he's someone who ha- he, he built a club at Bournemouth. He brought them from from League Two all the way to to the Premier League and established them in the Premier League for five years. It, it, yes, it's a, it's going to be a huge leap to take Newcastle to where the owners say that they want to take them. But Howe certainly believes in himself. He um, has has had buy in from the players he's got so far. He is developing the team, and so I I I think that in theory, yes, I don't see why he can't take Newcastle. For it. it it's by no means certain, and obviously at the moment moment the owners haven't been trigger happy in any way shape or form and don't suggest that there will be but if results over the next few months were to take a downturn who, who knows whether suddenly there may the, the, the likes of Mauricio Pochettino or someone like that may come back into the equation but I do think that Howe has given himself a wonderful platform from which to build and I would love to see him succeed long term and Newcastle to stick with him and build from that. And he, he talked in this interview about his contract and the new contract that he signed at the start of the season. And I thought that was interesting and also kind of quite important in terms of this this conversation because he says when he when he arrived, basically the only thing that he was thinking about was keeping Newcastle up. The future can wait, as he said then. And that he'd had a conversation with the owners which was along the lines of do that and then we'll talk about, you know, then we'll talk about the future. So as soon as Newcastle were safe they started the conversation about a contract he signed that extended deal now and you know I asked him that question is this 
what you know was that important in terms of his own all-in mentality i mean can you really be all in if part of you is w- worried or you know concerned about your own future i think signing that contract was a big deal because that's that is about saying you've done the first part now you're the man that we want to do the next bit and i'm sure they're going to give him every opportunity to to fulfill that So Newcastle dipped the toes into the emergency keeper market this week after Carl Darlow succumbed to injury uh, and Martin Dubravka left for past year's new former Liverpool goalkeeper Loris Karius was drafted in on a short-term deal but will he join the likes of John Carelsa and Lionel Perez as forgettable backups or will he shine given the opportunity? Uh... <laughs> Dear Christ, you did warn us that there would be bad puns at the start. <laughs> Actually, on that subject, right, you said bag puns at the start. Right. And what was the cherries thing that you said? Called the cherries. I don't get that. It's a, it's oh, it's a, like a fruit machine. Thing. Fruit machines, Fruit yeah. machines. Right, Come okay, on, George. Fine. I know you are not. You All don't right. normally mix it with, with the, uh, the peasants on the pub scene, but you must know what a fruit what? machine is. Anyway, uh, a little bit out of the blue, this one, Chris, wasn't it? But it's is it a sensible move to cover the injuries or is it an unnecessary addition to the squad? And Newcastle also looked at Ben Foster as well, is that right? They did. I mean, it was it was a, a bit of a uh, bold out of the blue, but actually, in in a perverse sort of way, and this is obviously, it, it's Carl Dollar's misfortune, so I don't mean to make light of that, but actually it was almost the perfect timing for him to get injured because if it had been 36 hours later, Newcastle had to submit the Premier League squad by the end of last Thursday and if they'd submitted a full 25-man squad they would not be able to sign a free agent so it came soon enough that they could sign Carriers to be able to add him in to uh, the squad and really how needs that backup he, he didn't want Dubravka to go he was reluctant other people at the club thought that, that he should go and Dubravka obviously himself pushed to leave he didn't want to sit and be number two having been demoted he wanted to go to Man United albeit to be number two there but he wanted to leave and so Newcastle felt that, well, Howe felt that they were a little bit short between now and Christmas. I mean, it's a bit bizarre because everyone around Newcastle keeps talking about how it's a short-term injury to Darlow, and it is, but equally, it's, it, it, I don't know how short-term six to eight weeks is. I would say short-term is two to four. I'd say it's a medium-term injury, and given the World Cup, it means that he's going to be out for a decent period of time. I don't think it's not like he's just out for a week, and so for that reason, Howe wanted experience backup. Mark Gillespie, the other goalkeeper, has never played a Premier League match for Newcastle. His contract is also up next summer. They, they also obviously let Freddie Woodman go to Preston, and Dan Langley, the academy graduate, is out on loan at Gator. So really, they don't have that much cover and we've already seen Pope go down with a bit of a dizzy spell at uh, Anfield and so for, for Newcastle to, to be able to have that experience back up, the fact that they could sign someone like Harrius, yes they looked at Ben Foster as well, someone with Premier League experience who hopefully will not be called upon in the league, hopefully Pope stays fit but... I like Ben Foster but you don't need a goalkeeper standing there with a GoPro gaffer tip to his head <laughs> do you, for 90 minutes, it's just not required is it? Come on <laughs> Instead, they've got Loris. Carries does quite a lot of modelling, I think, doesn't he? Is, is that right? He, He's a handsome yeah, lad, yeah. mind. He looks like Thor. Doesn't he look like Thor? He's beautiful. What a chin. I'm we Thor, after the, the great, we, we I'm might, Thor after the Great North Run. <laughs> Thor. <laughs> we might have the most handsome squad in football at the minute, I think. 
yeah. Um, but George, Carries has been without the club since uh, leaving Liverpool. Do you think? Do you think he's going to be ready if he's called upon? Is he actually going to be ready to play matches? Well, yes. I mean, it, that's that makes it sound sort of slightly more dramatic than it is. I mean, he's he's obviously he's not played for Liverpool since that sort of uh, very traumatic Champions League final in 2018 when he blamed himself for a couple of the goals. But he has been on loan since then. He's been on loan to Besiktas and then alone at Union Berlin. Didn't play very often then and didn't play at all last season. But he has been training with Liverpool. He's been, you know, he's been there, not played for them since. So it's not like he's um, not sort of been involved at a club um, week in, week out for a long time. It's only a kind of couple of months, really. And... I suppose we have to sort of hope that he doesn't play for Newcastle, really, because um, if he does, it would be, you know, a reflection of Nick Pope being being injured. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't think it would take a huge amount of time for him to get back up to speed in that sense. Mm. Chris, do you think there's a chance he's still haunted by that Champions League blunder? It was a it was a pretty monumental moment for him, wasn't it? And and I know a lot of Newcastle fans have questioned. Uh, his quality off the back of this signing is—is is this something that you think might still be playing on his mind? Well, I'm sure it is in some ways. I will caveat that by, and I know some people roll their eyes in this is, but it turned out afterwards that Liverpool said he did have suffer concussion before the first of the two blunders in that match. He had taken a bit of a blow to the head, and it turned out he, he was assessed in the US and he had that. I mean, his career obviously has gone downhill since then, but he, he he was once considered good enough for Liverpool. He did start a Champions League final, albeit yeah, it went catastrophically wrong for Newcastle to have a number two of that of that quality or number three as he may become once Carl Dolo's back fit. I, I don't see the necessary negative about this thing. It's not like Newcastle had loads of options as to where they could dip into at that point of the of the the, the, the summer window had closed. They couldn't someone permanently it had to be a free agent and I think as free agents go the experience that he brings I think in that sense is great I mean Newcastle signed him initially till January there is an ex- option to extend it until the end of the season I think that that brings an interesting element of d- what what happens to Mark Gillespie longer term his contract's up next summer do they decide that Carriers can actually be a third keeper alongside Darlow and um, also alongside Pope Dubravka in theory could be recalled in January although I don't think he's going to want to be so uh, maybe this could be a bit of a longer term thing for Newcastle and Carriers depending on how term, how long how well it works and George, maybe that uh, Eddie Howe regenerative magic could work and Carries could get a bit of a confidence boost. We could see him, uh, maybe he's playing in cup games and that kind of thing. It, it, could be a, it could be a good opportunity for the lad. Well, it's definitely a good opportunity for him, yeah. I mean, in terms of Howe's magic touch, it's a very, spe- it's a very specialist position, isn't it? It's not it one that he'll be getting involved in on a day-to-day basis, but... Yeah, why not? Why not? Why can't he benefit from the mood of optimism around the team and the club at the moment? And um, he's only 29, you know, so in terms of a goalkeeper, he's still got a lot of years ahead of him. It's not like he's come here right at the end of his career um, and will be content to just sit on the bench. So, you know, you you want keepers to push each other in training. I'm sure he'll do that. And Chaps, quick quiz question before we finish up. We all know how much George loves a quiz. Uh, who's the last goalkeeper that Liverpool uh, sold to Newcastle or left Liverpool to play for Newcastle? Well, it's Mike Hooper, I know that. It's Mike Hooper, my, well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, my, that's, my, that's my generation. I, yeah, that's general, well, is that a quiz? 
It's a question. If you know so the answers, answer. it's never a quiz, is it, George? If you know the answers. Uh, yeah, yeah Mike Cooper, uh, former police officer and apparently uh, running the doors in uh, local nightclubs and pubs these days, from what I've heard. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, time for a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere as Ahmed Shubal is here to discuss Bournemouth and their reunion with Eddie Howe this weekend. Back in a tick. So Newcastle face Eddie Howe's former club Bournemouth this weekend and as this is a little bit of an Eddie Howe special, the Athletics, Ahmed Shubal is here to give us the inside track on the Cherries and their former boss. Hello Ahmed, how are you doing? Nice to have you on. Hi Taylor, thanks for having me on man, pleasure to be here. No problem at all, thanks for giving us your time. Uh, so Ahmed, it's, it's, it's been about two years since Eddie Howe departed Bournemouth and he admitted to Alan Shearer recently that he can be uh, a little bit irritated by the tag that he's the fella who took Bournemouth down. Uh, given all the immense work that he did previously on the South Coast, what's the lasting impression of Eddie Howe among Bournemouth fans? Well, I, I guess it's fair to say that you know he's pretty much the symbol of not just their existence, because you know they came close to folding, but you know their ability to consistently punch above their weight you know he's been doing he was doing that at Bournemouth for you know the best part of a decade through the leagues um he also represents I guess the the last breed of 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 football managers who are involved in all aspects of the club um you know he grew up not too far from Dean Court um played for the club as a youngster joined the club at the age of 10 became manager saved them from extinction and then you know dragged them up the up the English football pyramid so he he essentially is Mr Bournemouth that's very interesting, Ahmed, that you sort of talk about that. I suppose you're, you know, the similarities there would be somebody like Ferguson at Man- Manchester United, possibly on a bigger scale, Arsene Wenger, that kind of manager, someone who was completely associated with with a club like those clubs and those managers. Have Bournemouth? It looks like Bournemouth have kind of found it a bit of a struggle. All that, be it, they're back in the Premier League now. There was certainly a lot of turbulence after his departure, wasn't there? Yeah, I think the turbulence is definitely the right word to use in that regard. Um, well, also because, you know, Bournemouth were relegated after Project Restart, which meant that there was quite a small turnaround for the next season to prepare. Uh, there was quite a business, quite a bit of business to be done in, in the sense that they had to sell, you know, some of their most prized assets, Nathan Ake to Manchester City, Callum Wilson, obviously, to Newcastle, uh, and Ramsdale to Sheffield United, it was at the time. So, you know, it in many ways, it was probably the worst time to lose one of the most pivotal managers in, in the club's history. Uh, they obviously appointed Tyndall, who's, uh, who was Howe's assistant at the time, still is now at Newcastle, obviously. Um, uh, and while that started well, uh, when it came to the turn of the year, the wheels quickly fell off um, and Woodgate was drafted in. Uh, and then Woodgate came in, steadied the ship, got Bournemouth to the playoffs, and then they were eventually defeated uh, by Brentford. So I guess in the immediate term, yes, how. Uh, did have a big impact and 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 I guess him leaving was you know it, it made it, it quite difficult for Bournemouth to find a successor even though Parker was um, long held as the potential successor he was already at Fulham at the time and was was, was getting them involved in, in, in integrating them in the Premier League so it wasn't immediately available but yeah in the meantime it was it was a hard act to follow and with Parker's recent dismissal by Bournemouth uh, I guess it still proves to be the case. Ahmed, given that Howe has basically been part of the fabric of Bournemouth's history, both from before when he was a manager and then uh, when he was a player through to, to being a manager, how strange is it going to be for everyone connected with Bournemouth to see him standing on the touchdown at St. James as, as Newcastle United manager facing 
Bournemouth and also in terms of that was was there always a fear in the back of Bournemouth fans minds that someone would would recognize maybe the the, the managerial qualities that he had and that maybe he would be picked off to to go to a club with no disrespect maybe his higher aspirations yeah uh i mean firstly it'll probably be difficult to digest for sure um but i think for the most part it will still be your love you know you can't forget bournemouth fans can't forget the work that he's done just because he's you know in another dugout but you might get a few supporters who who feel inclined to boo just to feel something i guess but um no i i, I think it's um it's one of those things that one of those feelings that maybe bournemouth fans are really only able to to be able to grasp on the day of the game or maybe just before kickoff there might be a bit of bitterness from a small section of supporters just considering you know how he's flying high with Newcastle now and doing an amazing job but Bournemouth haven't been able to set the world alight in a, in a similar way post how um, you know we all know how it ended with Parker even though he was a long-term successor um, but yeah in terms of you know the idea that how went on to you know to, to bigger and better things or the prospect of him going on to bigger and better things. I think, you know, funnily enough, Bournemouth supporters were some of the only people who saw how moving on to bigger things, uh, perhaps even, you know, with England at, at international level. I think, I think you guys will be able to, you'll know this better than me, but he was largely scoffed at when it came to him being originally linked as Newcastle, uh, Newcastle boss. I think there was that infamous clip on TalkSport where a Newcastle fan called in and actually wanted how, and the presenter sort of went, you've got all the money in the world. Come on, let's 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 be realistic, sort of thing. And you know, just looking back on that, that wasn't too long ago at all. And I think Howe's proved all those sorts of all his detractors wrong in that regard. Um, yeah, I think when you consider the the miracles that he worked at Bournemouth with such sort of modest resources, I think it's fair to say taking players from lower leagues and and turning them into polished Premier League players. You know, bringing through young youngsters like uh, the likes of Lloyd Kelly and Dominic Solanke and Mark Travers, who are just now starting to show their potential. I think in my eyes and the eyes of most Bournemouth fans, like some other club with larger resources was always going to look at everything how accomplished at Bournemouth and offer him a job. Like, I, I, But I think the main, the only thing is that we just never thought we would be uh, the richest club in the land. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eddie Howe told uh, Alan Shearer that uh, how he's not as nice anymore uh, as what he used to be and that he's seen his personality change the longer he's been in management. From the outside looking in, Ahmed, uh, what sort of similarities do you see and also what differences do you see uh, in Howe's work from Newcastle and Bournemouth? Um, I personally haven't noticed many differences in, 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 in the work that he's done. It just it just seems to be, he, or he just seems to be, I guess, evolving with the level that he's at, you know, and that's something that he was always good at at Bournemouth. I, I've, I've already seen quite a few people talk about, you know, uh, who, New, who Newcastle should appoint if they start competing for top honours, you know, almost as if to dismiss how already. Um, but I think in a weird way, that actually acknowledges how good a job that he's doing in, in raising Newcastle's level. The fact that people are already looking at Newcastle's next steps, um, just I think it shows how much he's evolved the club. And that word evolve or evolution is just such a key word when it comes to him. I think that's that's the main similarity that I've noticed. He just knows how to raise a club's level. Um, I, we, we saw that countless times at Bournemouth. And I think we're seeing that unfold to a much larger degree at Newcastle. So when he when he took the job, one of the things that people pointed out was that Bournemouth had gone down. They'd conceded a lot of goals. I think they conceded more than sixty goals every season. They were in the Premier League, and was this really what Newcastle needed when um, they needed to tighten up at the back? Now, actually, Newcastle's survival was based on their defence. Is that was that a surprise, or did people just get that wrong when they looked at that 
very basic metric for at Bournemouth? Uh, it's a good point, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I was surprised. I mean, defence was a big weakness for Newcastle, especially as um, they were very free-flowing in attack, if you'll forgive me for saying, particularly under Steve Bruce. Um, so I guess it makes sense to shore up the defence, you know, become a lot harder to break down. Um, and, you know, that comes down to hours of meticulous work on the training ground. And, you know, if, if there's one thing that how knows how to do is, you know, coaching players to the fullest and even beyond their potentials. So, you know, it, it doesn't really surprise me, even though Bournemouth didn't really have the best defensive record under him. Uh, because Bournemouth, at the end of the day, they still had a lot going for them in attack. But uh, obviously when the goal scoring dried up as it did and the goal scoring did it or the goal conceding didn't, um, things become a lot more difficult. Um, so in a sense, I guess you could say how learned a lesson and probably thought it would be better to or a better idea to build a solid defence first and then move your way up the pitch, as we're now seeing with, you know, signings like Alexander Isaac, um, which is really, really exciting. So, you know, whereas with Bournemouth, they were always an attacking side, uh, even when they first came up. So, you know, sometimes even to their detriment. So I think that's probably a lesson that, that, that Howe's learned and implemented at Newcastle. And, and finally, Ahmed, I mean, on that, you mentioned the signs, you mentioned the way Newcastle played last year. Obviously, we're only six league games into this season, but already there seems to be a shift in the way that Newcastle are playing. I don't know how much of them that you've seen, but the likes of the signings that you mentioned, do you think that, that he's moulding this into more of a quote-unquote Eddie Howe team? Do you think the style is going back to it, sort of fundamental footballing principles as he turns them? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, Howe's football is ever-changing, ever-evolving. I, I think it's quite fluid. I don't think there is there are sort of um, a list of specific sort of tenets you could point to that would, you know, equate to it being house football. I think he's always wanted to play expansive attacking football. Um, maybe the, the the quality of play he had at Bournemouth meant that that left them a little bit light at the back, but, you know, the entertainment value was definitely there. And we're starting to see that with with, with Newcastle now. Um, it's, it's a bit difficult when you go from, you know, going from a, a, a sort of a low block counter-attacking team to one that wants to, you know, put their foot on the ball, have more possession, be, you know, press from the front a little bit more. Um, so, And how is sort of ushering in that change, I think, quite well, to be honest, a lot well than other managers have done at other clubs. Um, but I think when you when you talk about vintage Howe and, and vintage Bournemouth, that three-all draw against Manchester City the other the other week was that is classic Bournemouth right there. <laughs> you got Alison Maximan running rings around everyone. You know, I remember, you know, Josh King, uh, Callum Wilson, uh, you know, Judy Stanislas, Ryan Fraser uh, doing the same thing uh, in the red and black of Bournemouth under Howe. And it was just, it, that's just so refreshing to see him going toe to toe, those sorts of, I mean, it wasn't a win, but this a kind of a giant killing, if you want to call it that, you know, going toe to toe with some of the league's strongest teams and yeah essentially you know going matching them blow for blow I think that that's the main thing that I, that's the main legacy that I think Eddie Howe left particularly in the Premier League and it's just so nice to see him do that with Newcastle as well with all the uh, other sort of uh, defensive nuances and the tweaks that he's made there as well. Fantastic stuff that, that's great I mean thank you so much for coming on mate and talking to us it's been a real pleasure having you on and thanks for all that wonderful Eddie Howe and Bournemouth insight great stuff. Thanks for having me chaps take care. 
So don't forget to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod for access to endless amounts of great writing and ad free versions of the Athletics podcasts at a special starting price of just £1 a month for your first six months. And make sure you check out George and Alan Shearer's fantastic piece with Eddie Howe on there. It's a long read, but it is a great read. Uh, check that out. So, chaps, just before we go, uh, the Premier League has announced the TV schedules for upcoming games uh, and Newcastle fans have once again been given a bit of a raw deal with fixtures being rearranged for broadcast. Uh, Newcastle v Spurs has been moved from Saturday, October 22nd at 5.30 to Sunday, October 23rd at 4.30. No, 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 it's been moved, having oh. already been moved. So that's that's the real frustration because it was already moved it's at 5.30 moved. and that was meant to be on TV on Sky. So a lot of fans had already booked to go down and subsequently, according to according to, to, to the, the, the statement that was released is to do with UEFA scheduling the following week. But that annoys me that, that they can do this in advance. But basically, the game has then been moved on 23 hours uh, to a Sunday uh, at four thirty, so yes, that that again, Newcastle you now the travelling away fans have not been considered yeah, at all. A, that's a massive pain in everybody's arse, that isn't it? That's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, this is going to be fun as well, mine. And I'm, uh, George, are you going to this one? Southampton v Newcastle uh, has been moved from Saturday the fifth of November at three pm to Sunday the sixth of November at two pm. I presume you're doing that one, George. Yes, Taylor, I am doing that one. South Coast correspondent, looking, South Coast Newcastle United correspondent, looking. Looking firmly in Chris's direction here with very narrow, angry eyes. Lovely stuff. What are you doing that week, Chris? Yeah, spa day, is it? Or I'm actually at a wedding. I'm, a, I'm at a wedding on, oh, on Fair oh, night, so yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, finally, Newcastle uh, v Chelsea at St James's Park. It's still happening on November the 12th, but the kickoff has been moved from uh, 3pm to 5.30pm, which means I will no longer be allowed to attend the match because I have to go to work. Thanks for that. Really helpful for Chelsea. Really helpful for Chelsea fans as well. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, And one last little bit of news before we uh, finish up. Ryan Fraser's back in the Scotland squad, Chris. Has he made it up with Steve Clark? uh, And is that a bit of a surprise? Well, apparently, I mean, Steve Clark seemed to dismiss a lot of the the comments that were made about this. Obviously, he was called up to a squad when Eddie Howe first came in and he said he was injured, so couldn't go up. He's then pictured in training for Newcastle United. He was then not called up to the squad in March um, and yes yeah, subsequently he has been called up what's a little bit odd is he was playing quite well in March he's been okay so far this season I don't think he's necessarily pulled up any trees for Newcastle but maybe I mean obviously Scotland didn't end up qualifying for the World Cup so maybe it's a little bit of a squad refresh going forward but for, for Fraser and Clark seemingly there has been uh, yes a thawing of relations behind the scenes there lovely stuff right chaps I think that's just about it anything else to add before we call it a day uh, I just wanted to ask you both what films do you think Eddie Howe cries to mm, Homeward Bound the uh, what's it is it Homeward Bound the journey with the, the dog the cat and the other dog yeah definitely that any reason or is yeah, he just... well he, he's well known as being getting homesick wasn't he when he was away from he loves Thomas. dogs as well no right he loves dogs. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say the Gold Trilogy because I mean he is I mean he's not he's not Mr. Bournemouth anymore. He's Mr. Newcastle. Alan uh. Alan wrote about that in his piece and uh, he talked about falling in love with Newcastle. So yeah, Gold. You can just imagine him that just weeping, weeping. The next time I mean, we that have might Alan. have something to, that might have something to do with the acting. I don't know. Uh, yeah, if we ever do get if we ever do get Alan Shearer back on the podcast, we have to ask him about that little performance in Goal. Are you finished with that, son? <laughs> and the most aggressive <laughs> piece of acting that's ever been displayed ever. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chris? Go on. 
I was going to say, I assume that Eddie Howe wept at the AHA documentary film that came out over the summer that he was very much looking forward to. Absolutely. Cry yeah. wolf. Definitely. Right, I think that's enough nonsense from you two for one week. Anyway, let's uh, let's wrap things up. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Ahmed Shubal for coming on. Uh, and we shall speak to you again next week from everybody at Pod on the Time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.